listeners, welcome back to a new episode of the Admin and Star Podcast. My name is Caitlin. And I'm Melissa. And I'm Emma. Woo! We are so glad that you have joined us to listen to another episode of our podcast. Today we're talking about cults, and we've just been talking about how much we love talking about cults. Melissa thinks they're relaxing. Cults, 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 cults. <laughs> Yeah, they are kind of relaxing. Like, I, I mean, watching Waco on Netflix, to our listeners, if you haven't watched Waco on Netflix, you need to watch Waco on Netflix because it blew my dad and I's minds. Uh, my dad actually lived in Texas when Waco was happening. And the news media told you a completely different story of what actually happened. So Netflix tries to like draw out that untold story. It's amazing. Go for it. Do it. Yeah, that's my two cents. <laughs> There's a lot of good cult shows on Netflix. I've been oh. watched the uh, Scientology cult with Leah Remini on Netflix. Ooh. Also very good. And Scientology mm-hmm. will probably come up today. Uh, as we discuss uh, next always the quote we're talking about today so we are excited to be back with a new episode of our podcast Uh, we are continuing our season of queens of crime talking about cults specifically talking about the lives of people mainly women who were part of the now infamous cult nexium and yeah before we get into nexium i I forgot. I wanted to do a shout out Uh, in season one. One of our favorite episodes was when we talked about slavery at sea. Blonde Muscatine's uh, book has just been made into an audio book. So if any of our listeners would like to, you know, listen to the book and if they don't have time to read the book, definitely do it. It was one of my favorite books of last season. Um, So yeah, that's my quick shout out yeah i saw oh, that's that. exciting is she the one that, does she read it or does is it read by someone no i think it's read by someone else i haven't listened to it yet but I, I want to because i'm wondering if i'll get more out of the audiobook like i'm interested to see like if i read a book and then listen to the audiobook will i get something that i haven't before you might you should try it let us know how it is yeah it should be good For our listeners who have no idea what we're talking about, go and check out our very first ever episode uh, when we talked about Sawande Mustakim's slavery at sea, and you'll know. You'll know what we're talking about. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, back to cults and Nexium. Our discussion today is based on research from the New York Times and the fantastic podcast Uncover by CBC Podcasts, as well as other tidbits and books that we found here and there. Season one of Uncover is actually entitled Escaping Nexium, and CBC documentary Josh Block investigates and follows a high-level member, Sarah Edmondson, and how she found out she was branded with Keith Rainier's initials, which led to her escape from the self-help group Nexium. So Ranieri and Nancy Salzman, who's a former psychiatric nurse, they actually founded Nexium in 1998 in Albany, New York. It began as a group that ran personal and professional development seminars that you had to pay for. Uh, according to the New York Times, an estimated 18,000 people enrolled in the group's workshops since then, including most famously its executive success programs. Most participants only took a few classes 
But some members became ardent followers of Ranieri, calling him the Vanguard. It was his nickname within the group. They regarded him as the most ethical man in the world. And the company has been widely described as a cult and was shown in court to have been a recruiting platform for a secret society called DOS, which in this society, women were branded and forced into sexual slavery. Not a good society. And I mean, if you're called the most ethical man of the world, you gotta, you gotta be unethical. Right. (laughs) And you're running a sex cult. That's a bit of a problem. There you go. An illegal sex cult. (laughs) As opposed to a legal sex cult, very different, a consensual sex cult. Well, I didn't want to, you know, shame anyone. No, 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 I know. We're, we're bound by the law. Okay. In early 2018, Nexium's founder, Keith Rainier, his associate actress, Allison Mack, and others were arrested and indicted on federal charges related to DOS. That includes sex trafficking after several former members had asked New York state authorities to investigate Nexium. So what was DOS? DOS was labeled as a sisterhood, um, billed as an empowerment group. Each small group was led by a master who recruited slaves. In time, the subordinates also recruited their own slaves. These women were required to hand over collateral, embarrassing and incriminating information, including nude photographs, the deed to their homes that would be publicly released if they disclosed the existence of DOS or betrayed the group in any way. As of April 2019, five people associated with Nexium, Mac, Nexium's co-founder, Nancy Salzman, Lauren Salzman, Seagram, Eris, Claire Bonfram. I hope I said that right. And what was it? He is Brofman. Brofman. There we go. There we go. I see it. So for our listeners, it's Claire Brofman. And bookkeeper Kathy Russell pleaded guilty to various charges. Rainier was convicted in federal court of sex trafficking and racketeering uh, quite recently on June 19th, 2019. And on September 30th, 2020, Claire Brofman became the first defendant sentenced in the case uh, when she was ordered to serve six years and nine months in federal prison. After Rainier's conviction, he continued to direct his group from behind bars He encouraged continued recruitment from within jail. At his direction, members of the group have regularly danced outside of Ranieri's jail. They've staged coordinated protests of individual prosecutors. In September 2020, it was estimated that about 50 to 60 people still remain loyal to Ranieri. Jurors deliberated less than half a day before finding Ranieri guilty of all seven counts, including racketeering, sex trafficking, conspiracy, forced labor, identity theft, sexual exploitation of a child, and possession of child pornography. Ranieri was sentenced to 120 years in prison in October 2020. Since then, he has accused Judge Garofis of corruption and has demanded a new trial, which the judge has denied twice. Ranieri's lawyers wrote in a court filing in September that, quote, he is not sorry for his conduct or his choices. So that says it all. Yeah, exactly. He's definitely a narcissist. Definitely. And I said his name wrong. So for our listeners, I'm sorry. (laughs) 
I did for most of it's it. It's a weird it's name. Who cares? Ranieri, I guess. You know what? I'm going to call him Keith because I feel like Ranieri sounds too formal. And I'm just going to call him Keith. Like he's just a guy because he, he literally doesn't deserve just the respect of his last name. Yeah. Ranieri is very dreary. This case was pretty heavy. I'm looking forward to discussing it. Me too. So let's get started. And yeah, grad school is kind of a cult. It is. Think think we about it. We're in a cult, but actually we are. We are. But I think something that's super interesting about this Nexium is it's not it's not a women's only institution, but it's very gendered. And it's something we they talked about on the podcast that we listened to, the documentary, in that even the classes that are taught in Nexium are highly gendered in that there's a, often men's classes and women's classes and the men are taught to be like sexually dominant. You can see Ranieri's like sexual obsession coming through all these classes. Yeah. Men are taught to be sexually dominant there. It's okay for them to be polygamous, to have a lot of different uh, women that they have relationship with something that Ranieri himself followed. He had a harem. It's literally what they called it of like seven women at a time and at the same time the women in these classes are being taught that you know women should be demure and that women are super emotional and that women should remain monogamous and there's just so much gendered aspects of this um, cult which I found really interesting something we can discuss on our gender podcast yeah some of this stuff just made me angry at times and and I'd sit there and be like why why <laughs> why why are you not noticing that this isn't right but you know it's it's like they said in the podcast you just get in this you get invested in this in this mindset and um how, how they did it was self-improvement you get invested with improving yourself and you can't really let go of that you don't want to fail at that so I, I thought this was interesting because it was a bit different than other cults that I have looked at and how they kind of draw people in but yeah no the gendered aspect it it does make you angry at times when you're listening to the podcast <laughs> and then there's so much gaslighting in it too and then every time you start to question your involvement in this cult uh, they turn that back on you, especially the women. They turn it back on the women and say, well, you're just not working hard enough to improve yourself. Is this a, this is your own problem. You need to work through this problem that you're not trusting in the, you know, genius that is Keith Ranieri. And so you can kind of see that the gaslighting aspect that keeps women trapped in these, in these cult, in these cult situations and pushes them further to join DOS, which they don't join right at the beginning. Often you're, you're, it's once you've been in Nexium for a while that they ask you to join DOS. And then you just get stuck in that too, where you're paying all the, with, because of the collateral that you give up, you're, you're stuck again in that cycle. Oh yeah. And with like Sarah Edmondson, you know, you're talking like exactly what happened to her. They're like, oh, this is your self problem. You need to look at your inner self and the problems you have about showing yourself to others and relying on others and you know, I, I, really breaking away from that. And, and that's what kept her in it for so long. And she talks about that. And it's just, 
it, you know, it, it, it just surprises you. And then again, you're like, wow, I can see how that would work. Yeah. I think that's what, I mean, obviously the three of us are all very interested in cults and their history, but I think that's true for a lot of women. I think one of the things that makes women want to learn about cults is that most of them have a weird gender hangup of some variety. I mean, like the Manson family, Jim Jones, obviously his cult had a weird gen like gender thing. I can't think of any else on the top of my head because that's just what kind of day it is. But I, I feel like cults sort of use existing ideas about society in order to control people and gender is pretty much like the strongest societal ideal that still so many people buy into Mm -hmm. yeah and you can see that manifesting here in nexium and i think something again tying back to the history not even of cults necessarily but something that made nexium so popular and why people were so interested in it was that it was billed as like a multi-level marketing. Like this is a way you can make money. Like you, you pay for classes at first, but then you also get a commission for recruiting in new people and all the classes that they take. So you can become quite successful and make quite a bit of money through this program. And thinking about the history of multi-level marketing and how closely that's been tied to gender in the past, that often, if you look at the history of these companies, it's women who are most likely who are often involved in them. You think of like makeup and Revel, you know, the Mary Kay and all those other kind of multi-level marketing um, things as well. It's often, and historically they've been tied to women's and gender and, and women's empowerment, a way for women to make money through these marketing schemes. And so again, it's playing on that history of, of women's ties to multi-level marketing and, and playing into those, those ideas as well to recruit women into the cult? I think most cults that we do think of off the top of our head, and certainly the cult Nexium that we're talking about today, are led by men. Does studying cults and learning about how cult leaders influence their followers, does that mean that you have to, I don't know, does that mean that you have to acknowledge that men somehow are like actually smarter than these women or do you think there is something else that also makes cult leaders influential beyond just being very cunning and manipulative because i don't think that most cult leaders or not most i guess the most famous cult leaders are men i don't think that means that men are more i don't know more intelligent or better at manip making people do what they want but i do think that is another really interesting gender question like who who is already set up for power yeah it's interesting and I, I think you know so many cult leaders are very obviously narcissists um very obviously willing to manipulate people but something that makes cults and i don't know if this answers your question but something that makes cults interesting to me is that the people that join a cult are often ones who who have good intentions like they want to make their lives better they want to, in the case of Nexium, make other people's lives better. And I think cult leaders play on that and play on their people's willingness and wanting to improve themselves, to improve the world around them. And they use that and they manipulate that in a way that then gets them power. And I don't know exactly how that's tied to gender, 
but I just thought that's kind of how cults work. No, that's interesting, Caitlin. You know, I, I am reading Leah Remini's memoir right now. And I know you mentioned her earlier and your interest in her show. And it's a very good show. It's also a great book. If you have time for for the audio book, it's great. It's really, but I think the thing that is striking to me is that like her mom gets sucked in and then she and her sister, when they're young teens or like preteens get sucked in because they're told basically to Scientology, sorry. I forget, not everyone knows who Leah Remini is, even though I just love her. I find her so likable, but <laughs> but they get sucked in because they're told you can save the world. Like your actions can make a difference in the world. And I think a good deal of women are trying to seek that out in their lives. I think that women are sort of socialized to want to fix things. I even notice it working with kids to even working with very young kids, you can see who who's being helpful, like who wants to go over and help their friends? Who's been taught that that's something that they should be doing. And if they're not doing that, then that makes them a bad girl or a bad woman. I just find it. I didn't even think about that, Caitlin, but you're so right. I think that's a huge part of it and definitely a huge part of it for Nexium specifically. Yeah. Cause then you get into Nexium and they, the classes they teach play into those very ideas that women are the emotional ones, that they're the ones who are supposed to help people and be independent and be caring and nurturing, whereas the men are supposed to be stoic and exactly like Keith Raniere. Um, and, and so you can kind of see how that would even get further progressed into uh, this story as you get drawn in farther and farther into Nexium, that it's this cycle of reaffirming those same gendered aspects. Yeah, and I mean, another aspect that's interesting to that question is if we were to talk about infamous female cult leaders, they're always remembered. They may not be as famous as the men, but they're always remembered as like sick, sinister, um, evil, diabolical, where as with most of these men cult leaders, they're described much differently. Powerful, most ethical man, genius. I, I mean, there, there's, you know, the media now is kind of painting Keith in a different light, but for a while they weren't, they were praising his name. Um, and, and you see that with quite, quite a few cults, you know, and, and they also kind of praise this pa- patriarchal teaching, if you, if you want to say kind of, um, but for like women cults, like I'm, th- I'm thinking specifically like ha- Hamilton uh, Brine, what was her first name? Annie Hamilton Brine. She, she like led the, the yoga cult where, where people would kind of become one with nature in a way, or there's, there's the one lady, I can't remember her name, but she does the UFO cult. And then there's a more recent one that's in the States. And she also has to do with like UFOs and stuff. I just listened to a podcast on her and I, of course, I can't remember anything about it, but all of these women are known as very sinister and kind of, oh, what do you call it when? Insane. (laughs) No. Oh my gosh. I'm going to think of it and I'm going to think, oh, conspiracy. Like there's a bunch of conspiracies tied up with, with these women leaders. But with this cult, it's just not 
completely there. Or at least for me, I didn't notice it as much. I mean, the Dalai Lama. Yeah. The Dalai Lama came to speak at an Axiom event. Like he was. Yeah, he's like, hey, man. Crazy. I'm so, I'm so glad we're friends. Or even with, you know, Scientology, Waco. I mean, that's probably a bad, a bad example because, you know, a lot of people did see him as crazy to a point, but I, I, it, it doesn't come out as harsh to me. And I, I think there's two sides, you know, there's these men led cults and then there's these female led cults that we don't really hear about. They're very mysterious. And I wonder why that is. What makes Nexium interesting too, though, is that Ranieri was obviously on top, but the rest of the senior staff, or most of them, were women. Like the other five people that were convicted in participating in these crimes, Allison Mack, the Bron- the Broffman sisters, they're all women who somehow Ranieri was able to manipulate them into joining the cult, into participating in his schemes. I mean, the Broffman sisters who were heirs to the Seagram liquor fortune. So these are like millionaires, billionaire women who were just pouring in tons and tons of money into his programs and, and yet he's, he's able to manipulate them. And then they go and manipulate others, I think is what's so interesting too. Allison Mack being the one who started DOS, who's a, a famous, pretty famous actress. She was in the Smallville show mm-hmm. and other kind of acting gigs. And the fact that, you know, she then turned around and started this weird sex cult for Keith Ranieri. It's, it's just odd that he was able oh. to manipulate these women like that. No, you're, you're completely right. But it's also in a way quite smart i think these women can payroll him and and whatever he wants to do and from his teachings he has a certain amount of power over these women they have to obey him to a certain extent and then they that that trickle down effect happens where you know they impose it on the other followers and so in a way the the way he set it up is quite interesting because I'll just use Waco because we're just going to go to Waco every five minutes with this. So in in Waco, you know, you have some of the men questioning the leader, but with this, since he is manipulating these women and they're so high up, they're not really questioning him at all. Um, So in a way that, that worked really well for Keith. That's why he was able to keep this going for so long. I think also, if I may speculate, it's kind of set up like a sorority. I mean, and they say that a lot. They use the word sorority. They call it a sisterhood. But literally the way that, I mean, it's not like master slave, but it's set up sort of like bigs and littles, like big sisters and little sisters. Like you have one girl and she takes some other girls and they're, you know, they're a family and she's the grand big. And then you have the the big, you know, so in the same way that hazing in the Greek system was persistent and can be persistent even now, even though there are very strong laws against it, because there's sort of this idea that, well, this was done to me, and so therefore I must do this to you. Like, I got, I don't know, paddled at 5 a.m., and so therefore you must get paddled at 5 a.m., or, you know, whatever. 
I swallowed a goldfish. You have to swallow a goldfish. I mean, even in grad school, right? Like my, my professor yelled at me until I cried. Right. Like my comps were horrible and made me want to die. And so everyone must feel like that. And it's like, okay, well, but it's the same sort of thing that perpetuates Nexium too. I mean, I think a lot of these women are victims, but I think a lot of it is victimizing people so that they in turn will victimize others. And it self-perpetuates because your victims are angry that they themselves have been victims. And so it does take somebody to break the cycle. Yeah. And the thing that makes DOS even worse, I mean, besides the hazing and the branding, which is terrible anyway, but is that these women think that they're the ones in charge. They don't think that Keith has anything to do with it. But actually, Keith is at the very top of all of this. He's the, quote, master over all these women. And the women up top, Allison Mack and, and these other women, are, are literally using DOS to get Keith Raniere sexual partners, the youngest of which being 15. Like, it's terrible that they're participating in this and that they're using, that he has orchestrated this whole secret society for women. And what is he doing with it? Well, he's using it to abuse young girls. It's, it's awful. Yeah, he's so shady, man. So shady. The fact that he gets, I mean, essentially gets away with it for like 20 years, basically, is it's not surprising to me because if you are a person that consumes any kind of true crime media, you know that like when women are the victims, nobody cares in general. That's almost always the case. And uh, the police work is often shoddy, but still it's like, come on, this guy wasn't even I mean okay he knew people with money and he may have been very good at conning people and he had some money but like he's not to me that's not untouchable levels of rich that's not Bill Gates levels of rich yeah why was why did it take so long for the tide to turn against this guy yeah in a way it goes back to the cult mentality is that they didn't want to turn against him because they sincere people sincerely believed that Keith Raniere was the smartest man on earth, that he was here to bring righteousness to the world, to save the world from itself. And, and they b- bought into this narrative that he himself preached, that he was the vanguard of this new society. And so they didn't want to turn to him in a lot of times, or they were physically prevented from doing so. Some of the women he abused were literally locked in bedrooms, so they couldn't. But he somehow was able to inspire this following that still holds on today. 50 to 60 people still think he's, you know, 100% innocent and protest every day outside his jail cell. Even two of the family members of the 15-year-old girl who was abused still support him. It's crazy. It really is crazy. I, I just don't understand. Like, I can look at a picture of him and know he's just super shady and slippery and I don't know. Yeah, he's got that look. He, he does. He does. I feel that way about so many male cult leaders, though, where I just don't get it. Like, I don't really get the Charles Manson thing. I've listened to some of his music, and also it's very bad. Like, I think it's bad. <laughs> I don't understand. I Like, Jim Jones looks like somebody's papaw from the 70s. I don't understand <laughs> 
he looks like a bad Elvis Presley impersonator. Like, yeah. what is the draw? Elron Hubbard's pretty creepy looking too from Scientology. Yeah, I don't, un- I don't understand the draw at all. Elron Hubbard just looks like he looks like if Alec Baldwin were like extremely annoying, like not just angry <laughs> but also annoying. Obviously, we know he's a, a, an angry man, but if he was just like. You know that kid in class who would just poke you in the back with his pencil all day? That's what L. Ron Hubbard. He looks like if Alec Baldwin and the kid from Recess who always carried around that notepad and was tattling on people all the time. Randall? Was that his name? Randall. So He looks if the, like if the two of them had a suspicious incel baby. <laughs> like... Scientology's gonna come after us now for insulting. Yep, they really are. We should. I genuinely, I am scared of Scientology. Um, I'm not interested in what they have to sell, but I am very scared of them. And uh, and I do think they probably killed Shelley Miscavige. Probably, probably. It's it's crazy. I drove by their um, main. What would you call it? Their capital? Their main campus? I don't know. In Clearwater, Florida. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy because as you drive by the buildings, I mean, they're in the middle of the freaking city and all the windows are tinted. So you can't see in the building. And, and you can see everybody walking around like from building to building because they're in their Scientology uniforms, you know, like the men wear something specific and the women wear something specific. But yeah, it was pretty interesting to just, just to kind of drive by because if you have to tint your windows of your building, okay, you, you got to be doing something sketchy. Well, and I think we keep bringing up Scientology because I think that Scientology like Nexium is one of those belief systems mm-hmm, that yeah. uses ideas about gender to like keep women specifically in the cult and like maintain female subservience. Like, you know, for example, Nexium might say like, you know, women, men are, men have to sleep around. Like men have to have lots of partners and women aren't like that. Like women are loyal. And obviously everyone is different. That's not like a biological reality, but using those ideas that were already, you don't even have to be brought up in the cult to have been taught to have internalized that idea about gender. Like you're taught that from the time you're a child in just from being alive in the society that we live in. So they're using these ideas that women already know it's only just adding to the indoctrination. And I think that's one reason why I, and I'm sure the rest of you guys feel very passionate about cults because it's like for, obviously all cults are bad for everyone. For women in cults, it just seems so horrific. And the, like reading about the experience or listening to the podcast with Sarah Edmondson, reading books about other women leaving cults just kind of makes me want to throw up because the abuse that those women incurred because of ideas that aren't even particularly unique to Nexium is really messed up. Well, and the abuse doesn't end. I think that's what got me so much on this podcast was Sarah goes back to her shame all the time. Like in every episode, I'm pretty sure she touches on it how ashamed she is 
of, of, of what happened, um, what she fell into. I mean, she even took her mom to some classes and, and, and she talks about how ashamed she felt of all the people she brought in, because not only is she responsible for herself, but also all those women that she recruited into Nexium. So I, I mean, that just really, I don't know, that stayed with me because, you know, you think, okay, you joined a cult. Yeah. You figured out it was bad. You left. You're going to have to deal with it. No, it doesn't end there. She has to deal with all of those people that she brought in. Especially with regards to like friendships and because they have built this as this women empowerment thing and it very much wasn't the, I feel like it's just exponentializes the shame for someone like Sarah. And it's, it's sort of like that shame is, was meant to keep her in the fold longer um, because it's almost like a sunk cost fallacy. Well, if I leave now, everyone will know how much I've hurt other people. So I do think it's like actually brave of her to openly vocalize that like, yes, she does feel ashamed of this, but I, I hope that that's not something that she dwells on because also if anyone should feel shame, it's the guy doing the sexual abusing or the people assisting him in doing the sexual abusing. And if you're unaware of the sexual abusing, how can that possibly be your fault? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I doubt he feels any shame whatsoever after listening to the podcast and like the things his lawyer said, I, I was just blown away. No, even his statement that we had, that we read for the intro that said, he's like, yeah, he feels no guilt at all for what he's done. And the lawyer in the trial just said, oh, it was all consensual. Everything was consensual, even with the 15 year old. And like, I read something that when the lawyer said that during the trial, the judge yelled at him and said, absolutely not. You are not going to get in front of me and say that sex with a 15 year old was consensual. And I'm just like, yes, judge. Um, but I thought that was, that's, you know, how, how he looks, he's able to twist it in his own mind and say, no, I was helping these women that what I was doing was great for them. They loved it. They wanted to be around me and to learn from me and learn from my wisdom. At the same time, he's, this is, you know, textbook narcissist behavior, the one abusing them and literally branding them, leaving them with this, these women in DOS with this physical mark of ownership in a certain way. Yeah. And he still has that mindset. Like um, we read it in the intro when he says he's challenging the judge because the judge was unfair towards him and had it out for him. And I'm like, are you kidding me? A jury just convicted you. And, and I, I mean, 120 years, you're lucky you got just that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that I, I don't know. I, f- I feel like his punishment could have been much worse. But at least he got punished. You know, at least he's in jail and Nexium is largely falling apart. Yeah, hopefully they're not giving him like cable TV and stuff because he, he doesn't deserve any of that. No. But no, I have this clip. I'm, I'm going to try to play it. Hopefully it works for our listeners because I want to hear your all's reactions. So this is a clip from the CBC uh, podcast Uncover. Um, I believe it was episode six, but I didn't write it down. So don't quote me on that. But it is um, Keith's lawyer uh, talking to uh, Josh. Okay, so I'll just play it for you. I think what's a great irony, and I think really where sort of the rubber meets the road in this entire case, is I think there, I think the government's position has elements of sexism in it. There are men in the United States who join fraternities and get branded. 
a lot of them are athletes. We see these tremendous brands on their, you know, muscular arms when they're during football games and during other sporting activities. And we don't think anything of the fact that big, strong, athletic men brand themselves. Also, men join secret groups. The Masons are a secret group. There are scores of secret groups from Harvard and Yale and all these, you know, elevated educational institutions. But it's men, so we don't think anything of it. Women want to be in a secret group and want to be branded. And all of a sudden, we're very quick to say, oh, poor dears, they must be victims. Because no, no right-thinking, free-willed woman would ever want that for herself. And I think that's sexist. Okay. Thoughts? Okay. So the fact that he's grossly ignoring the fact that these women didn't know that they were going to really be branded, that they thought at most they would get a little tattoo, and the next thing they know they're being cauterized with the cauterizing pin in Keith Raniere's initials, which they did not know either. The fact he's glossing over all of that, not to mention the collateral aspect that these women literally were being blackmailed to stay in this group under threat that their collateral would be released, these nude pictures of them, or their house would be repossessed, or these stories that they told, often false, of like their family would be told to their families. He's just ignoring all the coercive aspects of this cult and only focusing on the, the fact that yeah, they agreed perhaps to join it in the first place, not knowing what they were getting into. It's just such a bad faith argument that it just makes me want to beat my head against a wall. Do you know what I mean? Like there, you could, like, you can criticize what he says from a million different ways because he's just wrong and he knows that he's wrong and he's just a liar because like there are secret groups for women. There is a female version of the Mason, like there is girl Masons essentially there are lots of different secret groups that women can join. You can make up whatever kind of group you want to make up and call it whatever name you want it, as long as you're not actively hurting, abusing, sexually assaulting, branding without their consent. You can make any kind of secret group you want to, babe. But the fact is, you can't hurt people regardless. Well, and he glosses over... The crimes that were committed, I mean, rightfully so, he's the lawyer, but he compares it to high school football? Are you kidding me? Like, wh what? The government's sexist? Um, he, yes, it might be, but it might not be in the way you see it, buddy. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know. When he said that, I was just blown away that, okay, women can't stand up for themselves, um, when crimes are committed and they're assaulted because that's the government being sexist towards men? It doesn't make any logical sense. Yeah. I didn't think be his job, though, having to defend Keith Raniere. Of course, he could have said no, that he wasn't going to defend Keith Raniere, but... Oh, I'm sure he was paid well. I'm sure. Okay, can I say this off the record? Because I don't... I don't know if I would have put this in the podcast because it seems mean. Does Smallville money really go that far? How does Allison Mack have all this money? Was she born rich? I have no idea. I think most of the most of the um, Nexium money came from the Broffman sisters, um, not Allison. Oh. Probably lived off them too. But also the thing that this cult did 
is they recruit and all cults do it. Scientology does it too, is they recruit the wealthiest, most famous people they can find to lend themselves mm-hmm. credibility. And so they would, they talk about this in the podcast, how they would go after actresses or actors with money and with fame. And they draw them into this cult, knowing that they'll bring followers of their own or the people with money. It's not just the Brofman sisters who had so much money. Also other, you know, bringing in other wealthy people, Keith Raniere himself, pretty much all of his girlfriends leading up to the creation of Nexium had some sort of money that he would exploit. And that's why he gets it all. Yeah. With like racketeering and other sorts of, um, money laundering that sort of thing as well because he's very much taking these people's money from them and uh, stealing it basically as a con artist and so they're playing into these you know using the wealthy and powerful women especially and 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 using their resources to build his own fame power yeah i'm sure he was sure bummed out that tom cruise went to scientology first (laughs) right he couldn't get him. <laughs> oh, man. You really do have to read Leah Remini's book now, Alyssa, because the reveals about Tom Cruise are too juicy. Oh, I'm sure they are. I'll have to do that in all the free time I have. I do have a question for the class. Go for it. Knowing what we know about cults now and what we've learned about cults in our knowledge of 20th century cult history, what do you think should be done or ought to be done to protect people in general from cults? But since this is a women's history podcast, what do you think we should be doing specifically to protect women from cults? Or what do you think didn't work uh, historically? a hard one because I, I I don't think we can really do anything I mean I mean cults are all about history belief practice finding something more being unhappy I mean Sarah Edmondson talks about this she was unhappy with her life she felt like she hadn't lived to the fullest and and I think as human beings we're always looking for something like that and that's what draws people into cults um they 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 feed this and and they make it you feel important and successful in a way, um, fulfilled. And I, I mean, your question, like, what can we do? I'm not really sure. <laughs> you know, um, from the from the gender standpoint, I think it's important that we underline this whole do- dominant male dominance view to women. And I mean, women are breaking out of that, um, you know, in the modern era. So I, I think it's more apparent to them at times. But, <laughs> excuse me, like in this cult, Nexium, it was kind of hidden. I mean, it was there, but it was there in a way where you didn't blatantly see it unless you were looking at it. And for us listening to that podcast, I mean, of course, we're focusing on women. So we're going to be looking for these signs. But the average person isn't. They think they're going to a self-help group. Um, they think they're going to improve themselves. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know what we could really do to change that. But 
start by changing our thinking about women in our place in society in general. I don't know. What do you think, Caitlin? Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's, it's difficult because you are dealing with people who believe so strongly in something often. And, and like you said, cults understand the gendered changes in some of our gender ideology too. And that cults are not openly saying, yeah, we're, we obviously think men are better than women or, or we obviously hold these kind of disparaging beliefs. You see it in Nexium. You saw it in Scientology openly denies a lot of its beliefs about um, the role of women, you know, sexual misconduct, um, also homosexuality as well, all sorts of things. And so you do kind of deal with that and you have to be aware. And I think a lot of the change that could happen to prevent some of this is to bring awareness to these cults, to talk about them, to talk about the strategies they use to manipulate people, to manipulate women, especially. And then something practical, something that I guess didn't come up so much in the Nexium case because it was younger, but it wasn't around as long, but something that comes up in like Scientology is people who have been in this cult for years and years and years, they've grown up then, or, you know, since they've been, you know, younger, and then they leave the cult eventually, and they go, try to go to the FBI and say, here's all the abuse I suffered at the hands of Scientology, will then be met with, well, the statute of limitations has ended, we can't do anything about it. And so that, yeah. in a lot of ways, the cult or the FBI from going in and doing anything about these cults. And I think they need to do something changes, in perhaps the statute of limitation to, to extend it to make it longer for some of those religious ideas or cult based ideas because as long as you're in the cult and as long as you believe so strongly you're not going to report these abuses that's what makes cults so powerful and so almost untouchable is people believe so much in what they're doing that they're not going to report the abuses they don't even see the abuse as the abuse so once they do get out though it's too late often to report it and so i think there needs to be some sort of change i don't know how you go about doing it you'd have to go through the law start writing laws and stuff, which I'm not in a position to do, but, yeah. you know, do something to kind yet. of remedy some of that <laughs> position. When I quit no, no. to law school, then maybe I can do something about it. Exactly. No, I think that's a really good point. And I, I like your previous point about like getting awareness out there. Like this podcast, this podcast was great. Um, Sarah Edmondson just wrote a book about her experiences. Um, Leah's book, uh, troublemakers. I mean, those are way, ways to get these stories out to the public and for them to start to see different signs of cults. But in a way, I don't think we could ever um, get rid of cults like these. Um, just it's, it's just going to happen. We're human beings. I think especially for Nexium, the thing that is really insidious about what this guy does and what the group does is that it's using feminist-ish buzzwords in an attempt to oppress and sexually abuse and shame and blackmail women. And I think one thing that learning about this has made me aware of is men or anyone, but like men like Keith using empowerment language to disempower um and sort of couching it in this way of like well you know these women were empowered they wanted to do this they wanted this violent abuse and i think we should really 
you know, as women, as women who talk to each other, as women in the academy or who are teachers or who have professional networks with other women, I think building an awareness that not everyone who speaks the same language as you actually wants what's best for you. And indeed, there are some people who are only learning the language to harm people. That Yeah, you can't just take everything at face value that the motive for why they're doing this matters too. And you need to have an eye out for that. Like my mother says, trust no one, Alyssa. <laughs> but trust your gut because there are so many times in this pod, like in this podcast or in other books about like in Leah Remini's book or in this other book that I recently read about leaving a cult, like so many times the, the woman telling the story is like, I just felt bad. I felt something bad in my gut. Like I just didn't want to go through with it, but I felt like I had to be, you can say no to anything you want. And like so many people will use women's inclination to help and women's fear of being ostracized to abuse them. Like, you know, so don't be afraid. And I'm trying to teach this to myself because I am very much one of those people who is afraid to make a scene. But at some point, if it's between you getting burned some like horrible guy's initials burned into you or maybe losing a couple of friends that you really, really like and that you thought you were going to be close with. I think at some point you do have to trust what's inside you to know. You have to trust your intuition to know that this is not safe and it's okay to walk away from something that feels bad. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Trust yourself. You're going to trust someone. (laughs) Yep. Say no to drugs and say no to cults. Alrighty. So with that, we are out of time for today. Thank you all for listening to Ad Men and Stir, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of women and gender in history. Our new episodes from our second season, Queens of Crime, are posted bi-weekly on Spotify and SoundCloud. Our last episode of the season will focus on falsely accused women. And each of us are going to bring in a story of a woman we think was falsely accused, and we're going to defend them. We're going to prove their innocence. It should be an interesting last episode, so stay tuned for that. For more information on previous and upcoming episodes, check out our website, adminandstir.wixsite.com. Keep up with us on Instagram and Twitter at adminandstir. And if you have any questions at all that you'd like to ask us, please send them via DM or email us at adminandstir at gmail.com. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.